Father, I really need you right now, and I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to each heart, even if it's nothing that I say. Lord, we just plead the blood of Jesus over this room. You know, Lord, that we don't want to just do meetings. We really, really need you to change our lives and to be able to use us, Father, to reach this world. So I thank you, Lord. And we just love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that's the first time I've heard that money's the most thing talked about in Scripture. Because, from what I understand, there's something else talked about most in Scripture. Or at least what we're commanded the most to do. Do you know what it is? We're commanded the most, at least my going through and counting it, and, is to praise God, to give thanksgiving. And in Psalms 104, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, even to enter his presence, to enter it with thanksgiving and then with praise. And we've heard a lot in the last several years about praising God, giving thanksgiving. And yet, one time Jerry and I were sharing a little bit about it in a church, and afterwards a, a lady that, that I knew came up to me and she said, Janet, really what is the big deal? She says, God knows I love him. I've given him my life. And I know that God loves me. Why not get down to that laundry list, those wants, those needs, and be done with it? You know, I'm a busy person. I don't have time for all this. Well, at the time, I didn't know, I didn't really have an answer for her. And I thought about it, prayed about it over the next couple of weeks. And it reminded me, I started thinking about the first year that Jerry and I were married. We'd been married, I think, maybe seven or eight months or so. And Jerry comes up to me one day. It's a Sunday. I'm trying to get the laundry done, and I'm folding clothes. And he comes up to me. By the way, Jerry's my husband. And he comes up to me, and he says, Janet, Janet, can't you tell me once in a while that you love me? And I looked at him. I said, well, of course I love you. I married you, didn't I? And I kept putting my laundry away. And he kept following me. And he said, Janet, I need to hear once in a while that you love me. And I said, look, Jerry, just count on it. I love you. If it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> and, so, and I kept putting my laundry away. And he kept following me. He said, Janet, I need to hear how you feel about me. I need to hear nice things about me. And I need to hear you love me. And I just you know, kept putting stuff away. He wouldn't leave me alone on this. So I finally started reading some of these books on marriage, and I know you're going to say, let's just leave right now. This woman is totally stupid. <laughs> but they tell you that it's really a good idea to let your mate know that you love them. In fact, they even suggest every day. <laughs> now, you know, tell the guy nice things about him. I mean, he's good looking. Do I want to do that? He might get conceited, and who knows what could happen. He'd go off and leave me. So I didn't want him to think he's better than... Then he, well, as good as he really was. But he wouldn't leave me alone. The books say I should do this, so I started trying to do it. And it wasn't easy for me at first. But I started trying, and I would tell Jerry I loved him, and I started trying to tell him nice things about him. And do you know what happened? I loved Jerry. But as much as I loved him, as I focused on telling him how much I loved him and telling him nice things about him, my love for him grew. It increased. And it also made me realize, I thought, wow, you know, I really got a great guy here. 
I tend to stay focused on the fact, you know, he doesn't put the toilet lid down or this or that and, and, and don't, you know, focus on the fact I've really got a good guy here. And, but as I did that more, I realized more than ever how much Jerry loved me. And it made me want to do nice things for him. It made me, you know, want to show him how much I loved him. And as I thought back to that first year when this happened, I realized why it's important that I take time every day to adore my God, to praise my God, to give him thanksgiving. It's not that God's got some ego that needs to be stroked. It's for our benefit. We need it. We need it. When we take that time to praise our God, to adore our God, to give Him thanksgiving in our life, it changes us. It helps us to realize how much God loves us, or at least it does me, and it makes me love my God all the more. It makes me want to be obedient to Him. It makes me want to serve Him, to do what I can to bring Him joy. And, and yet, you know, when you, you think about praising God, Usually what we go to is thanksgiving. You know, it's easier to thank him for many things than it is to praise him. But what do you praise God for? And I love studying the Psalms because the Psalms has like so much of God's character in it. And, but you know, his creative powers, his sustaining powers, his redemptive powers, there's so many things. But do you know how to have God's presence with you throughout the day? We're told in Psalm 22, verse three, and I like the way it's worded in the King James, it says, thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. If we want God's presence with us throughout the day, praise him. Praise him continually throughout the day. We will have his presence with us all the time. In, in telling you this, though, you know, I'm not saying, well, we just need to have this Pollyanna experience with God all the time, just telling God how wonderful he is, and we're never real with God. You read the Psalms, you know that the writers were real with God. They poured out their hearts to God. I mean, there's things in the Psalms we just don't talk about. I never hear a preacher talking about it, such as, arouse yourself, O God, why do you sleep? How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Let his days be few, let his children be fatherless, his wife a widow, let his children wander and beg. This is in the book, of, in the, this book, in the Bible. It's all in here. In fact, in, in the Psalms, those are in the Psalms, in one place it says, make his house into a dunghill. Every emotion is in the Psalms. And I don't know how it is for you, but I found the more I meditate and read the Psalms, pray the Psalms back to God, the more healing I have in my life. Every emotion from, from depression to anger to jealousy to hatred to joy to celebration, it's all in the Psalms. And the more I meditate on it and pray it, the more it changes me. And yet, you know, in the mornings, sometimes I, I like to let God wake me up. I don't know if any of you tried that. And it can be crazy on earthly hours, just let me warn you. And I used to argue with God about it. I can't get up this early. If I get up this early, I'll be irritable. I'll have a bad headache. And I finally gave that up and just started saying, okay, I'm going to get up. And if I'm irritable, grouchy, it's your fault. I'm going to tell people. <laughs> but my family, if they were here, would vouch that I've been way less irritable, way less grouchy, and way less headaches if I get up when God wants me to spend that time. And way more energy. It's, it's amazing how he can do that. But some mornings when I wake up, God gets me up, 
The last thing I want to do is praise God. The day before has been terrible. Somebody's been mean to me. The car broke down. The washing machine broke down. Just all these problems. I don't want to praise him. It's been bad. But if I take my Bible and I'll go to the Psalms that are praised and I will, you know, maybe you're not this way, but sometimes I can't even get the prayer out because I'm hurting. I'm miserable. But I can take the Psalms and pray those, pray God's words back to him. And what a blessing it is. It brings healing into my soul. And you know the story of Jacob and how he wrestled with the archangel and the angel said, let me go. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. We can do that with God. He may not be able to change that circumstance in our life right now. But we can tell God, I will not let you go this morning until you bless me. And he does. He does. It's incredible to me as, as you praise him, you worship him, you spend that time with him. Sometimes you feel like your heart's going to burst with joy. It's like you can't take anymore. It, it's amazing how he can pour out his love on you. And yet, you know, I have to counterbalance that. At times, it can be really dry. You, you don't sense that. But I find more and more it's more of the joy than it is the other. But God does let us go through dry times. I believe it's to strengthen us, to keep us pursuing him and seeking after him in, in those times. But as I said, you know, I don't think God's always wanting us to just tell him everything's wonderful about him. He wants us to be open on us. The Psalms is full of that. And in Psalm 62, 8, it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. For God is your refuge. God has got shoulders big enough to handle anything we have to pour out. He wants to be the one that we pour it out on and talk to. But I tell you, times in my life, I've, I thought, I can't tell God about that, that I don't like Sally or I hate Sally. He'll just tell me to go love her. I don't want to do that. Or, or, you know, whatever it is, I, I might be angry at God and I don't want to tell him because he might strike me with lightning. He's God. But no, God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. I, I don't know if you ever have times where life just gets so bad, you wonder, is God alive? Is he awake? As scripture says, is he there? Does he care about me? Why doesn't he answer? I've prayed and prayed and prayed. And yet he doesn't relieve or change the situation. Do you ever struggle with that and have that? There are times when I have that. In fact, I'm the kind of person I can have a tremendous miracle today. A crisis happens to, to the next day and I'm going, oh God, are you there? Where are you? And I'm, it's sad that I'm that way. I try not to be. But years ago, I feel like I found the answer of what to do. At least it's the answer for me. Of what to do when you feel like, God, why are you sleeping? Why don't you answer? What's going on? When you really feel that way, Psalm 77 to me gives the answer of what to do. And it starts out in verse 1. It says, I cry out to God with my voice. He gave ear to me. Verse 2, in the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. Goes on down to verse 3. I remembered God. I was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Verse 4, you, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Verse 5, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart and my spirit 
makes diligent search. Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Verse 8, has his mercy ceased forevermore? Has he, his promise failed forevermore? Have you ever felt like this? Verse 9, has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Then it gives the answer of what to do when you're feeling that way. Verse 10 says, and I said, this is my anguish. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of all your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? And it goes on down, uh, praising God. The answer for me, what he says here, when, when life, you, you wonder if he's sleeping, is he alive, where is he? is to start remembering what God has done in the past in your life and start thanking him for how he's worked in the past. And one of the best ways I've found to do that is to keep a journal. I don't know if any of you do that. But, but to write down those prayer requests, just briefly, none of us have time to write a lot, but to write them down or, or keep it on your computer and then come back, write down the answer when it happens. And you know what happens if you start doing that? you'll start seeing blessings and surprises happen in your life. And I don't know, maybe it would happen anyway, but you start seeing these things happening. And so you write those down, those blessings, surprises that happen. And it becomes your way marker, it becomes your testimony. But when life gets really bad and you're in this crisis and you're wondering, does it exist? Take out that journal. And, and turn to those pages, say, Lord, remember what you did in February of 2012. God, I want to praise you. I want to thank you for how you moved then. Father, look at what you did in July 2003. I want to praise. I want to thank you for what you did then. You may be sitting there going, well, that'd be kind of boring. It may seem boring, but I'm telling you, it unleashes God's power. I don't, can't give you the direct quote, but it's in Ministry of Healing. Just read the whole book. It's really good. It's really, it's, seriously, it is one of the best. But in there she talks about God loves to be reminded as what he's done in the past as arguments for him to do greater things in the future. He likes it when we do that. It unleashes his power in our life. Well, you may be sitting there thinking, well... I don't have a journal, and I have a terrible memory. I don't remember God ever doing anything in my life. Take your Bible then. Take your Bible and start praising him for how he brings the children of Israel out of Egypt and at the last minute at the Red Sea and parts the Red Sea to get them through. Or Joseph. Joseph goes through all those years of trouble, and yet it turns around to find out God's just using him to save the children of Israel. Praise him for Daniel in the lion's den. That whole story is amazing to me. Or take the, the passages like in Matthew 27 or Psalms 22 or Isaiah 53 and praise your God for what Jesus went through for you. It's an incredible experience what it will do for you personally. The joy it unleashes in your life, the love, the, the power of God that comes into you. And I don't know how it is for you if, having family worships, and I hope you are having family worships. I can't stress that enough. I, I'm amazed at how many families don't these days. But to have just a short amount of time, anything. Ellen White talks about she was fearful to stay in a home that did not have family worship because there was not the protection 
around the family. But you know, don't be stern with the kids and, and beat them if they move or giggle. I, I was in a home when I was a little kid. The guy did that. He suddenly grabbed his daughter and spanked her right there in front of all of us. His daughter is not in the church today. In my home, we had worship. We'd start giggling, laughing, whatever. Pretty soon, Dad would have us down on the floor wrestling with us. It was a good memory. And make it a joyful time with your kids. But we'd have our worship, and I'd think, something's wrong. It's just, it's just something's wrong. And it was the time when it finally dawned on me what it was when I read Psalm 78, and then later Psalm 145. But in Psalm 78, verse 4, it says, We will not hide them from our children. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength, his wonderful works that he has done. And in, in Psalm 145, in one particular version, it says, Speak, tell, extol, celebrate what God has done in your life. Amen. You know, our worship time when we'd pray would be, Dear Lord, uh, Zach really wants, or Tyson really wants an A in math. Could you help him get an A? Uh, Lord, you know, so and so keeps picking on Zach. Could you help him not to pick on Zach? You know, so-and-so's got is sick. Could you please heal them? And Lord, you know we need a new car. And we could use a new house, by the way, too. And, and just on and on and on, all these requests. In Jesus' name, amen, and please protect us while we sleep. But it was when I read these, I realized we need to praise our God. Given Thanksgiving in our worships. And we started doing that with our sons and saying, Lord, thank you that you brought us home safe tonight. Thank you we got a roof over our head. Thank you we got food on the table. Thank you we have each other. Thank you we got two legs that work and eyes that see. Do you know what that's done with my sons? No matter what age they've been, they've always been grateful for the little things in life. Instead of constantly, you know, oh, I wish I could have this like the other kids or have this or that. They're grateful for what God has done in their life. And it, uh, it, it just really made a difference for us. But you know those scriptures, like James 1, 2, says, Consider it pure joy, or another version, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Or at Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Have you been doing that? This last week, think about those trials, those problems you've had. Have you been counting it pure joy? Have you been rejoicing always? How about for the last month? Or 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Or Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things. Do you do that? I'm telling you, I used to think Paul and James were crazy for writing that. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Rejoice, count it pure joy for those trials, those problems. They didn't mean that. No, they didn't mean that. And I, I felt that way. I just shoved those verses to the side for a long time. And I had an experience happen to me, though, many years ago now that I felt really helped me to see that it does make a difference if I do that. And I was previously married to a pastor. We hadn't been out of the school that long. And we were actually in our first district. Oh, we had a couple of churches. And we'd been there two and a half months. And uh, he had been working hard uh, all week, doing Bible studies and visiting what all pastors do. And he decided he's going to stay home this morning to work on his sermon. But before he did that, he said, I'm going to go running. He says, I haven't 
been exercising, I need to start running again. So he goes out and runs, and it's a hot, muggy July 3 day down in the southeast. And he um, came back, he's, you know, sweating, and he says, oh, I'm so hot, I think I'm going to go for a swim in the pool first. We were living in an apartment complex where there was a swimming pool. And our little toddler said, me go too, Daddy, me go too. And so he grabbed him up and off to the pool they went. And I stayed behind because I had some things, I was trying to do some cooking. And I remember looking out of the patio window at them and then I went back into the kitchen. And it wasn't too long when my little guy was there banging on the, the door, crying. And I went and I said, Tyson, what's the matter? He said, Daddy, gone down, gone down, won't up, won't up. So I grabbed him up, marched over to the pool, ready to scold my husband for leaving this little guy all alone who can't swim while he's swimming at the deep end of the pool. But I get there to find a crowd of people standing around the deep end. And I parted through them. I said, what is wrong? And I see my husband lying at the bottom of the pool. So, you know, I immediately jumped in to pull him out. And as I'm trying to pull him out, uh, take him, you know, to the edge of the pool, I'm just thinking, you know, this is a nightmare. I know this isn't real. This isn't happening to me. It's not a part of my life plan. It might be yours or yours, but it's not a part of mine. We just got through school together. We're in the ministry. We're going to serve God with our lives. And I have a little boy to raise. I know it's not a part of, this is a nightmare. But in the emergency room in the hospital, when the doctor came out and he told me, there's nothing we can do. He's gone. I am so thankful for God's word. The verse came into my mind, and at that time, I could not tell you where it was found. Now you hear it all the time, and people have it printed on their walls. It's everywhere. But it was the first part of the verse. All things work together for good. That's what came into my mind. All things work together for good. Now, we had attended a seminar. I'm not sure. This was in the summer. It was sometime in the, in the winter. I don't know if it was six months or so before. And... At the seminar, it was about a totally different subject, but right before they ended, they started talking about praising God in all things. And I thought, you know, I've heard that before. These guys are crazy. But the thought wouldn't leave me alone. And, and as, when I went home, I started studying and looking up the passages in Scripture that they gave and reading about it and began to realize it was something I needed to do. And so my husband and I, we started trying to do it. And it was almost kind of teasing each other. Like the time he had a flat tire on the car and he's out in the heat trying to change it. He's in a suit. We're trying to get to the church and I'm leaning out the window. You're praising God for the flat tire? And he's... <laughs> and then I work real hard to make this special dish and I, I'm clumsy. I tripped and dropped it and he's going, you're praising God for that. And so we were joking with each other. But at the same time, we were really seriously trying to do it and seeing that it made a difference. And so when they tell me he's gone, that verse comes into my mind, all things work together for good. I chose to start praising my God. Not that he had died, but in the fact he had died. My God is in control of my life. He can do anything he wants. And he could stop it, and he didn't choose to. So I cho chose to surrender it to him. And the, that night... The first person to show up was my brother. It was almost midnight, or between midnight and one, almost 1 o'clock in the morning. And we went into my bedroom. I had this huge king-size bed, 
And I told him, well, would you just lie down on one side while I lie here? And I said, just talk to me till I go to sleep. Because when I close my eyes, I just see the horrible scene of my husband dead. He promptly fell asleep on me, started snoring. He was a pastor also and had been working hard. He was exhausted and, and just went to sleep. Well, I couldn't go to sleep, so I got up and I went into my little boy's room and there was a double bed he was in. And so I crawled in next to him. And as I shut my eyes, the horrible scene comes back. And so I, I looked up towards heaven. I said, God, I choose to praise you for whatever reason you've allowed this. I choose to surrender the whole thing to you. But I think I need sleep. You've got to help me sleep. I've got to make decisions tomorrow. I've got to face church members. Which, by the way, the previous pastor had been killed a few months before in a horrible car wreck. So the church was absolutely devastated. And so, you know, I, I'm having to minister to them besides to deal with my own grief. And so I'm praying this to God, you know, I need sleep. I got all this problems. And, and before I could hardly get that prayer out, I suddenly felt like I was being held. And this peace just came over me and I slept the whole night long. Now, I wasn't taking any medication. I had a doctor offer that and I said, no, no, I don't want anything. But I slept all night, and as I started to wake up in the morning, I thought, oh, this has been a terrible nightmare. And I reached out for my husband, but instead it's just my little boy there. And I knew it was real. Well, my parents, when I had called and told them that day, you know, the day before what had happened, they lived three states away, and they said, don't do anything. Don't make any decisions till we get there. I don't know what they thought I was going to do. We owned a canoe and a rusty VW. That was it. We had no money. No money. And, but they thought, I, they were afraid that I might be talked into having some big fancy funeral and, and that I couldn't afford. So I was being the obedient daughter and waiting for them to come. So I can't sit still, you know, with this happening. And so I'm pacing back and forth in the apartment, just thanking God for the five years, I'd, or six years I'd known Mike, five years we'd been married, and thanking him for the fun times we'd had together here in, in Oregon Mountains, actually. We went to Walla Walla there and uh, skiing and, and camping, backpacking. And I thanked him, was, you know, thanking God for the people we'd seen one to the Lord doing Bible studies and just whatever I could, I was thanking God for, for my little boy that I'd had by him. And as I'm pacing back and forth doing this, my brother liked to point out the fact, he's sitting on the couch and he goes, you know, Janet, Mike's dying a young man. You're probably going to die an old woman. How's he going to recognize you in heaven? And so I got out my Bible, and I quickly turned to the New Testament and said, I'll be changed in a twinkling of an eye. And he says, okay, you're changed. He's changed. How are you going to recognize each other? Because you're sure going to look a whole lot better than you do now. And I thought about that. My husband, Mike, had this crazy backwards walk he did when he walked. And... I said, God will never take that away from him. That was his personality. I'll find him in heaven by that walk. <laughs> so that's kind of the way the conversation went. But there was this book laying on the, the table by the couch. It was a devotional book that had been print, printed from uh, Ellen White's writings. And I had this urge, pick it up and read it. It was July 4. And I thought, you know, I don't want to read. I, I can't concentrate. I, I just want to talk. And so I never picked it up and read it. I never thought to ask, God, are you telling me to pick this up? 
at that time in my life, I did not know that God would talk to me, that God would speak to me. And so I never even crossed my little brain that it was God. But do you ever have that impression to write somebody a letter and you don't do it and you find out later you should have? It was what they needed? Or that phone call to call somebody, oh, I can't do that. And you find out later it's what you should have. And then you try to do it and it's too late. If you don't do it when God tells you to, it's too late. Or that person he wants you to witness to. Uh, my daughter-in-law, God keeps putting on her heart to go pray for this person or that one. She does not know them. And the guy, in the, the clerk in the grocery store, the, the clerk in the card shop, but God is ministering through that, witnessing to these people. She's being obedient to that. I remember one time I pulled up to the school and God's telling, I felt like God's saying, go pray with that woman in the car. I'm going, I don't know that woman in the car. And I said, she'll think I'm crazy. But I finally did it. And the woman's crying. When I bang, you knock on her window and she rolls it down. I said, could I pray with you? And she says, how did you know? I said, I didn't know. You know, God told me to come over here. But follow those impressions. But I didn't. I didn't pick up the book. Well, you know, we went on. We had a memorial service. And, you know, I'm not saying in all this that it's not okay to weep, to cry for our loved ones. We know Jesus weeps with us. It is okay to grieve over our loved ones. But we, as Seventh-day Adventists, have a blessed hope. We have something even in our funerals to rejoice about. And so we made his uh, memorial service a time of rejoicing. We have the blessed hope. We sang songs about the second coming, about our Jesus who died on the cross for us. And but t uh, my parents and my brother stayed by as long as they could afterwards to help me pack up the apartment. You know, we hadn't lived there that long. There was no point in me staying. And plus, I didn't have an income. And so I needed to move. So they packed up as much as they could. And they said, you know, we've got to get back to work. And I said, okay. Well, I had basically one other place to pack up yet. And it was a garage where we had the stuff in storage. And I needed to get it packed up because the mover was coming. Well, that morning, I um, had my devotions and was reading my Bible. And then I decided to read that devotional book that I told you about. And it was now 10 days later from July 4, and it was July 14, and I start reading it. And it was so good, I kept reading page after page. It was called This Day, it's called This Day with God, it still is. And, but I've, I'm reading away, I'm just really enjoying it, but then I happen to glance at the clock and I go, oh, oh, it's getting late, I gotta get packed up, the mover's gonna be upset with me if I'm not ready. But I wanted to come back and read it later, so I took the book, Normally I have it with me, but I forgot to bring it. And I took it and I turned it upside down at July 18 and 19 and left it there on the end table by my bed because I wanted to come back and read it that night. And then I grabbed my little toddler and off to the garage we went to get things packed up. And as I'm in that garage and I start to pack this stuff up, I start being overwhelmed with how much I missed my husband. Because, you know, it's his tools and just a lot of his stuff. Not that I made him keep all his stuff in the garage, but it was just, you know, some of his things. And, and as I'm packing it up, I started crying out, God, why? Why did you let him die? Why? Why? We were going to serve you together in the ministry. How am I going to raise my little boy without his daddy? 
and all day long, you know, I'm packing up there and, and just sobbing and crying. And when we got back to the apartment, my little guy was asleep when we got back, and I put him in his bed, and I went and just flopped across my bed crying. And I'm just lying there sobbing, and this urge comes over me, pick up that book and read it. And I, did, I said to myself, I don't want to read it. You know, I'm miserable. I want to cry. Why should I want to read it? But this urge would not leave me alone. And I started thinking, well, you know, it's kind of getting boring crying. I've been crying all day, and I'm pretty well cried out. I might as well pick up the book and read it. So, because it was good this morning. So I pick up the book. And I'm the kind of person, pretty much an only child, that if I leave my things a certain way, even though it might be messy, don't touch them. I will notice. If Jerry were here, he'd be going, amen. <laughs> I just, it's something God's got to work on me about. And so I pick up this book, and it's no longer where I left it, in July 18 and 19. And I'm going, who's touched my book? Who's been in here? Nobody had a key but me. I knew nobody had been in there, and I knew my little guy hadn't touched it. But as I looked at, glanced down at the page, you know what page it's on now? It's on July 4, July 4 and 5. And the title on July 4, just, my eyes just went to that, was Jesus Cares. The first the verse is casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. And I started reading it. In that first paragraph on down, it says, God, your heavenly Father, will be your husband at hand to counsel, to direct, and comfort as you need. Because I've been crying out to God, you know, how am I going to support us? What am I going to do? And then it quotes Lamentations 3.33, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. God does not want bad things happening to us. But we're in a great controversy that we don't always understand why things have to happen. Well, I glanced then down at the bottom because I wanted to know why it was written. And it says, letter 42, written July 4, 1875, to a sister who had recently lost her husband. How does God do that? You know, does he just zap it? Does he send an angel to turn it to that page? I don't know how he did it, but I know he did it. And I can't wait till heaven to find out how he did it. I just, so many things you want to find out about. But in that last paragraph, it says, Cling to his hand, hold fast. He will take you, your children, all your griefs and your burdens, if you will only cast them all upon him. Our God's amazing. It's amazing to me what he does. But one of the things I love about God's word is as much as you read it, when you're in a crisis, you've got a problem, new things will stand out to you. You notice that. You have that happen. And God started showing me all these scriptures that he would be my husband, that he's, he's a, a husband to the widows and a father to the fatherless. I'd never noticed those in scripture before. And I started going, wow, he'll be my husband. And then, you know, he'd already showed me this. And it just, I just, I'm so thankful for God's word. But before my parents left, the night before they were to leave, we we're sitting on the couch, you know, we'd been packing boxes all day. And dad says to me, he says, you know, Janet, I don't know how you're going to make it. But at least you've got that life insurance policy to tide you over for a while. Now, I had learned when I was a little kid, all these horrible stories about you've got to have life insurance if, if you've got a husband and you've got a kid because something might happen and you need that money. And they'd tell me these horror stories of what had happened to people. 
So when we had the baby, I said, we got to have life insurance. We got to get life insurance. And my husband said, I don't need that. I'm going to be translated. Jesus is coming. <laughs> well, he, I kept nagging him. We got the life insurance. Because we were in school then, or he was. I wasn't. But he was in school. And I thought, well, soon we're going to be out of school. And we'll have money because he's a pastor. We had more money when we were in school than when he was a pastor. And so we're in the ministry now. We were in a district where we were interning. And we're not making it financially. And I really felt called to stay home with my baby. And I wanted to do that. You know, I could go get a job as a nurse, but I wanted to stay home with my little one. And I thought, what am I going to do? We're not, we're not making it financially. So I sat down one day and figured it out. Well, if I cut out this, cut out that, I do this, that, and if I cut out that life insurance policy, I think if we're really careful, we can make it. Mike didn't want it anyway. And I'd been reading some of those books on, on, on marriage that talk about being submissive. They quote those scriptures in the Bible about being submissive to your husbands. Be obedient to them. And I thought, maybe that's why I got this problem. I haven't been submissive to my husband because I nagged him into getting it. So when he came home that night from his Bible studies, I said to him, you know, I, I figured this all out. And I think if we cut out even the life insurance and all these other things and eat really carefully, I think we can make it financially so I can stay home with our kid. He goes, do it. I never wanted it. You're the one who pushed me into it. He says, I'm going to be translated. Jesus is coming. Wait till I see that man in heaven. <laughs> do I have something to tell him? <clears throat> it was just a few months or so later that he goes and dies on me. So dad doesn't know all this. He knows I had the policy. And he's sitting there going, well, Jan, at least you've got the life insurance to tide you over for a while. And I had to say, dad... I don't have the policy. He, and he just comes off the couch. What? And I told him I'd canceled it because we weren't making it. He says, why didn't you tell your mom and me? We both work. We could have carried the policy for a while. Well, I ran into the bedroom crying. And I knelt down by my bed and I said, God, I tried to do what I thought is right, to stay home with my baby, not go in debt, try to meet our financial needs. Look at the mess I'm in. Lord, I really think this is your problem. <laughs> Do you know what started happening? From all over the United States, from Oregon here, from Canada, people started sending me money. Some of them were people I was in college with, and they were sending me large amounts of money. And I knew they couldn't afford it, so I'd sent it back. They turned around and sent it back and said, look, God told us to give this to you. We don't want it. You keep it. <laughs> I journaled it. I'd write down everything that came in because I was so grateful for it. But I never added it up. A year later, I'm having my worship devotions one morning, and suddenly I get this urge, add up what's come into you. And I'm thinking, that's really rude, thinking about money when I'm trying to spend time with God. And so I tried to avoid the urge but it kept coming. So finally, I started, I got out the notebook where it was recorded, and I started adding up all that came in. And do you know that it totaled to the very penny that life insurance policy was worth? Nice. To the exact penny. I don't know what you're worried about in your life, what you're worried about in the future, but your God is big enough Amen. to take care of you. 
nine months before Mike died, my parents had moved into a new house. Now, when they had the house built, they had a, a choice between a two-bedroom, three-bedroom, or four-bedroom. Well, it's only the two of them. They decided to build a two-bedroom because they thought it was poor stewardship to have a bigger home. You know, the kids were gone, and they had this urge, build a four-bedroom, build a four-bedroom. And they finally gave into it and built a four-bedroom. But they were embarrassed. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't want anybody to know they had a four-bedroom house. <laughs> and they kept asking God, you know, why do we have a four-bedroom house? Excuse me. I'm sorry if you don't have any. <laughs> it is really dry here in Oregon. I don't remember it being this dry. <clears throat> Nine months later, after moving into that house, my husband dies. And they then knew why they had a four-bedroom house. Even before I knew I had a problem, God was already working on the solution. That's our God. He's just amazing what he does in our lives. And my uh, mother, I was living with him. She, uh, my grandmother fell and broke her hip and her wrist. And we've been, I've been living with him for several months. Well, mom volunteered me to go take care of grandma so she wouldn't have to go into a nursing home. So I go south and, and stay with grandma, take care of her for many, many months. And grandma's getting well, and, and another, an aunt was going to come and take my place. And before I, the day before I was to leave, she wanted to get in the sunshine, the fresh air. So I get her out in the sunshine, wrapped her in blankets because it was kind of cool. And grandma's the kind of person who never complained about anything. It drove me crazy. She wouldn't even give an opinion about what she wanted to eat. Just whatever you want to fix, Janet. Just, you know, she was just a good woman. And so I get her out in the sunshine, and she says to me, Janet, I need to talk to you. Sit down next to me. And I'm going, oh, finally, Grandma's going to talk to me. Tell me that I'm doing, raising my kid wrong. Anything, just talk to me. So I sat down waiting. I said, yeah, Grandma. And she said, Janet, I want you to know that I'm praying for God to bring you a nice young Christian minister. And I said, oh, Grandma, I've had one. Tell him to bring me a nice young Christian rich man. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma would not laugh. Grandma looked at me and she pointed her finger at me and said, Janet, you're going to get a minister and that's what you're going to marry. <laughs> it wasn't too long after that that God brought Jerry into my life. And Jerry is nothing like my first husband, but he's absolutely what I needed and what a blessing he is. But when he asked me to marry him, he says to me, you know, proposes in a crazy way. I won't even go into that because I'm <laughs> running out of time. But I said to him, I said, Jerry, I'm not sure you can be the husband that God has been to me, but he's really done a pretty good job. You would love him if you met him. But God's amazing. I'm not saying that if you praise God and give thanksgiving, he'll give you that new husband you need. No, but he will give you a peace. He'll give you a joy and a comfort in spite of what you're going through and what's happening in your life. And I remember crying out to God, Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life? Are you going to bring somebody? And it was always just wait. Just do what you're doing now. Just keep taking care of your child and, and loving me. And in his time, he says, I'll take care of this. And it's just amazing to me what, what, how God does that. But we're in a great controversy, right? You know that, right? Okay. And I'm convinced Satan is there tor tormenting my God and saying, look, Janet, 
you don't get rid of that sin out of her life right when she wants. She says, what's the use of having worships? Spending time with you because you don't remove it or you don't answer her prayer the way she wants. Do you ever do that to God? Say, what's the use? Why should I spend time with you? All these bad things happen. Or you don't change my life. And Satan's there tormenting him. She doesn't love you. She just wants to go to heaven or whatever. I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that loves God no matter what. But God desperately needs a people that will choose to praise him, to love him no matter what happens in their life. There is no greater witness. And on that back table, I've got these handouts. You see it's got Yosemite on the front, experiencing God. But the first section of it, we've got a lot of quotes in there from Ellen White's writings about praising God. And they're powerful quotes. And she talks about there's no greater witness than someone who praises God for what they've done in their lives. And I can't tell you how many women I've sat beside whose husbands have either abandoned them, left them, divorced them, or have died on them. And I've had them sit there and they look at me, they're crying, and they say, you mean you've been through this and you still love God? And I say, yes. And they say, that gives me hope. Someday I will too. But it gives you a ministry. God desperately needs a people that are willing to go through things. Nobody can witness better to somebody whose house burns down than to somebody whose house has burned down. Nobody can witness better to somebody whose son is in prison than someone whose son has been in prison or someone's son who's been on drugs or if you've suffered with illness all your life. You're the one that can witness to the people who are suffering with illness. Or maybe you've got illness problems or car wrecks or whatever. God may need you to go through that to witness to the the car wreck adjustment manager, to the x-ray technician, to the doctors. Are you willing to go through these things to be that witness God needs to this world? I'm not. I'm I'm not. I don't want to go through these things. I like my life to be comfortable and easy and nice. I don't want to have suffering. The only way I can go through it is if every day I'm spending time with my God and knowing him, spending time focusing on the cross and reading and meditating on what Jesus went through for me. That is what gives me the courage, the ability to go through what God allows in my life. It's the only way. I don't know how you handle it, but it's the only way I can handle it. But God's given me a ministry. And because of this, with with women, and this one woman, her husband gets put in jail. Now, she and I had prayed together because she had a lot of baggage from the past, and we'd prayed for healing over that. She'd been beaten, abused as a child. And I gradually led her to, to, you know, praising God, not for it, but in it, and that God can use this in her life and in other people's lives, use use her for this ministry. Well, her husband gets put in jail. She said, Janet, what am I going to do? I don't make enough money to survive. I am minimum wage. And I said, well, I don't know. And I started showing her the scriptures that say, God will be your husband. I said, he's your husband now. Because those texts aren't just for widows. They're for women whose husbands are in prison, for women whose husbands have abandoned them or divorced them, or for women who have not found the right mate yet. God will be your husband. God's got your back. I don't know what you men will do, but for us women, we are covered. (laughs) We're taken care of. And so I'm telling her this. I said, you have a problem, you take it to your husband in heaven. Because your husband in prison, he can't help you anymore. 
until he gets out. But she had a, a terrible marriage. The guy had a horrible temper and just was, you know, didn't treat her well and was grouchy. And, and so he's in prison now. And so I'm telling her, gently, you don't do it right away with people. You do it gently, gradually. I said, let's thank God your husband's in prison. And she goes, you are crazy. And I said, I know, I'm crazy, but let's just do it anyway. So we started doing it, thanking God that this man was in prison. He was in prison five years. Do you know that when he came out, he was a totally different man. He became converted in that prison, started reading his Bible. He started giving the prisoners Bible studies in there, winning them to the Lord. He comes out to have a precious marriage with his wife. He's a different man. But before he got out of prison, she, she, the first thing that happened, I think it was within 24 hours of him being in prison, it was really close to that time, she calls me up one morning and says, Janet, my hot water tank broke. What am I going to do? She, he says, I have no money. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what are you going to do? You know, I'm privately praying that. I said, let's ask your husband in heaven what he's going to do. But inside I'm going, oh, God, are you going to come through for her? Are you going to come through for her? And... So we prayed to her husband in heaven, and, and then I, I said, let's thank God for the bro broken heart water tank. She says, I'm not doing that. I said, well, I'll do it for you. And do you know that by the next morning, a neighbor had come to her door and said to her, I have this extra hot water tank. Could you use one? And on top of that, he puts it in for her. I told her, you got to write it down, journal it, start writing it down, keep track of these things. And she goes, why? And I said, because you'll forget, you'll forget. What was Israel's biggest problem? They forgot. They forgot what God had done. They forgot what God had said. So she started journaling, writing it down. And I was encouraging her to, you know, to spend time with God every day. You, you need that strength. So she was. It was kind of up and down, but she kept seeing God see her through and was developing a beautiful praise story in her journal. So she's doing really good. And this a couple years had gone by. I come by her office one day where she worked, and, and I came up to the counter, and I said to her, the store where she was at, and I came up to the counter, I said, so how you doing? She goes, awful. I said, what? She says, awful. I don't even want to live anymore. It's terrible. I said, what happened? She said, my electricity got turned off. I said, oh. She said, and somebody anonymously gave me the money. I got it turned back on, but I was $5 short, and they turned it off a second time. Yay, PG&E in California. <laughs> and I said this to her, but I made sure I got way back out of swinging range. I said to her, Beth, if your husband in heaven thinks you don't need electricity, you've prayed, it got turned on, and now it's off, then you don't need it. She came out swinging, and I ducked, got out of the way. When she was able to calm down, we prayed about it together, because she's going, do you know what it's like to be without electricity? And I said, well, only when I go backpacking. But <clears throat> she, actually now I live in Maryland, I know what it's like. I've been for weeks without electricity back there. They got all these trees everywhere that fall down on you. Your houses, I mean your electro wires. You have that in Oregon? Yes. Huh. It's hard. You're trying to leave for a trip to Russia and you have no electricity. The, the point is, though, not that, is if your electricity, if you've been praying and praying and praying for God to turn on your electricity, and he does, and then something happens, it gets turned off, praise him. 
Praise him. Why? Well, we started praying together, and she said, would you pray for tomorrow? I said, why? She said, I have mediation court. I said, why do you have mediation court? She said, the people who put my husband in prison, because he was embezzling money, they think I have the money. She says, I know nothing about it. I don't have any money. And she says, it's costing me money because I had to hire a lawyer to get me, you know, just uh, um, whatever they do, defend me. And I said, okay, I'll be praying. I'll pray all day tomorrow. Well, she calls me up the next day about 5, 5.30 in the evening. And I answer the phone. I go, hello. And she says, I'm so glad my electricity got turned off. And I said, she's finally had a nervous breakdown. You know, it's just, it's been too much for her. She just, she can't handle it. And I go, why are you glad it got turned off? She said, I'm in this mediation court. I'm in one room with my lawyer. They're in another room with their lawyer. The mediator's going back and forth. And it's taking all morning. And I finally say to my lawyer, why is this taking so long? And he says, why? What do you need to do? She says, I need to tie up my dogs. Why do you need to tie up your dogs? So they'll turn on my electricity. And he says, your electricity's off? Why is your electricity off? She tells him the whole story. And he goes, you mean you really don't have any money? She says, no, I don't even know how I'm going to pay you. <laughs> the, the lawyer then goes and grabs the mediator and tells him the whole story, him or her, whatever it was, tells him the whole story. They go and tell the people, and it dissolved the whole case. <laughs> they gave it up. So if your electricity gets turned off, you've been praying and praying and praying for God to answer, to work in your life, and he doesn't do it in that situation, praise him. Amen. He's about to do a mighty thing. And when you choose to praise him, it unleashes his power so he can do a mighty thing. Amen. We hinder God's power by our griping and our complaining and our grumbling, and I'm as guilty as anybody of doing that because I'm a melancholy. I like to complain. My husband says she's happier when she's moaning and groaning. But don't miss out on the blessing that God wants to give by only thanking him for the things you think are blessings. Do you hear what I'm saying? We so often, oh, I'm only going to thank him for this. Thank him for everything that happens. But you have a big storm in your life. Do you ever tell God how bad this is? You've got to relieve me. You've got to do this. You know what we need to do more of? Stop telling God how big our storm is and start telling our storm how big our God is. Proclaim God's word over that problem. How big your God is, how faithful he is, and how he'll move his mighty right arm in your past. You know, it, it builds your faith and encourages you. And I, I must quit. But I have to just tell you this. You've got to get this handout back there. I worked real hard to put it together. So, but it, it's got a lot of good things in it. But on page 8, number 9, I'll just read this one and we're going to close. It says, The Father's presence encircled Christ, and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Here was his source of comfort, and it is for us. He who in her, he or her, who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him or her, except whatever comes to him, comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Do you hear that? Amen. It comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Nothing can touch him except by the Lord's permission. Amen. Do you hear that? Nothing can touch you. You're God's child. Amen. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadnesses and griefs, all our persecutions, privations, in short, all 
things work together for our good. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen whereby good is brought to us. Ministry of Healing, page 488 and 489. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. But it is, it, is, it is just so true what God does. And I am so thankful for my God that he puts up with me, my moaning and groaning and complaining till I'm able to choose to praise him for those situations. And, you know, I know you could... Uh, can I just share one more story? Yes. I just got to tell you how real God is as a husband. <clears throat> I decided to go on a trip. I'd been living with my parents for a couple of months, and I was going to go see my brother down south. And before leaving that morning, I took a wide mouth thermos, put wheat berries and raisins in it, and then poured hot water. Well, by supper time, it was this chewy cereal that my little guy liked to eat. Well, by the time we got to the motel, it was kind of late, and he's hungry. He's running around the room, Mommy, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, hungry. And so I grabbed the thermos to open it for him. And I cannot get it open. It's a wide mouth thermos. I can't get it open. And I'm in this motel alone. And so I take the thermos and I put it between my legs. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and I'm churning it, trying to get it open. And I can't get it open. And so I shot up this prayer in my mind to God. I said, God, if my husband were here, he was big and strong. He could open this. You tell me you're my husband, so what are you going to do? Right then, somebody starts trying to come in my motel door. I jumped up to try to keep them out and they were in before I could get there but they immediately jumped back and said lady we're sorry uh, the key you know they gave us the wrong room and I said don't worry about it or they said don't worry about it and, and they closed the door and said lady we'll take care of this and they shut the door. Well now I'm leaning against the door and I chain lock it now because I'm scared or, or relieved, you know, but I don't want anybody else to come in. And the adrenaline's draining out of me. My body's aching. I'm leaning against the door going, oh, thank you, Lord. And right then I get this urge, get him to open your thermos. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going, I'm shy. I can't do that. Get him to open your thermos. Your kid's too hungry. So I open the door and I said, mister, can you wait a minute? And he's wondering, what does this crazy lady want? And I go and I grab the thermos. I bring it out to him. I said, could you open this? Do you know with one quick turn he had it open? Our God has got a sense of humor. Our God is amazing what he'll do in our life. As we close, the first prayer conference I ever went to was in Oregon. And it's the first time I ever experienced a group prayer. And it, it was one of the things that helped to change my life. It was so precious. And I know it's late, but could we just do it for a few minutes? And what I'm talking about is, is just in short sentences, I want you to lift up a praise to God. We're not going to do any requests tonight, but just praises or thanksgiving, whatever God would put on your heart. And, and lift up your faces and pray loudly so we can all hear in the room. Because it's no fun if we can't hear you. God may hear you and he enjoys it, but we don't. Or God may lay on your heart a song. Start up a song and, and we'll join you and in, in sing the song together if we know the song. Or take your Bible, praise God with scripture. Can we just do that for a couple of minutes and then we'll close. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.